0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn.
2: Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's March 8th, 2016, and I'll tell you this, I would think it was St. Patrick's Day because we're full of Irish beer people, and Anne Becerra is, is one reason we're doing that. You got some crazy people in the room, don't we, Ann?
3: Yeah, I think this is the best way to kind of get ourselves hyped up for next week, right? Got some
2: Irish, who's, who's, who's here from the Porterhouse? We got some ir- real Irish guys.
4: Yeah, Richard Stokes here. Uh, I work for Porterhouse Brewing Company. Um, I'm actually Barry Smith. I work for uh, Francis
5: Tavern, downtown New York, uh, oldest uh, tavern in New York. And we're
2: going to be talking about Irish beer in general, maybe craft beer, maybe the history of Guinness and nitrogen. And from uh, representing Guinness, we've got some uh,
6: esteemed beer people here.
7: Hey, Jimmy. It's Heather. I'm the social media correspondent for Guinness.
6: What's up, Jimmy? James Tye here, brewery ambassador for Guinness.
2: And to help us balance it out, we got Mr. John Hall, who has written a couple articles about nitrogen, and he called it good gas at one point.
8: Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, editor of All About Beer magazine. Great to be here, and great to be uh, talking with great people about an awesome subject.
2: Well, so, hey, all right. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. Thanks to our sponsor, Union Beer Distributor, supplier of world-class ales and lagers. All right, so, and we set the stage, but, you know, what is it about Irish beer? You know, um... I, I... St. Patrick's is coming up.
3: Yeah, I think, well, at least for me, at least the, uh, the Irish beers that I'm used to drinking, the craft beers or even Guinness is that the sessionability factor is always there, you know, and it's, mm. a, it's a party, yeah, <clears throat> you know, especially St. Patrick's Day. I think we have the largest St. Patrick's Day celebration in the world in New York and uh, people go hard and they go long, so we have to make sure that it's drinkable beer you won't get tired of and... Uh,
2: what we tried. Does anyone take a stab at at, at, at any history of Irish beer to set the stage? I know that they said that uh, St. Patrick, who was actually Italian, uh, was probably drinking Abbey-style ales when he was in in Ireland and is that true? Does anyone know anything about Irish beer history before <laughs> 1759?
5: Well, yeah. As, as far as I know, Jimmy Dicks Barry, uh, it would have been similar to uh, Europe. It would have been the monks. It would have they would have been the intelligentsia at the time. You know, they would have been the learned. They would have been the ones that could read, um, and so they would have been the ones doing the brewing. Uh, but like Ireland got savaged with you know uh, different invaders, so that's kind of our history got lost. You know, the the whole uh, Book of Kells, all those Irish, like, religious books. The monks saved them, but I don't think they saved the brewing, you know. Uh, and that's ultimately what happened, you know.
2: So, I mean, I know there was something to do with England, too. And I don't want
5: to yeah, cause any, you know... Yeah, there's a little bit of history there as well. <laughs> Feelings. Um, well, there was, there was to, to make it quite simply, uh, Ireland was the garden of England. So uh, all crops and stuff like that that were grown in Ireland, the priority was to go to England. Um, so you 're familiar with the potato blight the potato famine or whatever um, the whole thing was there was actually enough uh, food to feed the Irish, but the English lords kind of took the food and sent it to to England you know so uh, so maybe that 's another reason why brewing wasn 't really a priority because the grains and everything were going abroad you know so
2: at some point for probably several hundred years before 1800. There there were probably some other breweries making beer and and local breweries and farmhouse breweries in Ireland.
5: For sure. I mean, I think ultimately Guinness kind of took over, though. Um, They became the most successful brewery in the British Isles, um, and they ultimately became top dog in Ireland. Um, I I know at one stage, at at its height, Guinness was responsible for employing most of the people in Dublin. You know, They reckon over 50% of the population of Dublin was employed by Guinness indirectly. So you can't realize how huge it was. If you think about Budweiser, you know, ten years ago, when they owned American beer, pretty much that's the way it was in Ireland, except like a much Saint smaller Lewis scale. Or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Except in Ireland, it was much smaller scale, so it was easier to get their beer around Ireland. and Let's get John Hawley's He's the editor at all about beer. He's probably the most learned person in the room.
8: Well, yeah, I wish I had done some prep on uh, Irish history and uh, European. I thought we were talking nitro. So, uh, but yeah, no, I'm here. I'll, I'll make up an answer if uh, if I don't know the uh, the truth to your question, Jimmy.
2: <laughs> have you come across and any he- Articles or talks about Irish beer history in the past?
8: Sure, I mean, well, there's a lot of great writers over in uh, in the UK who are covering, uh, you know, the history, uh, the current scene as well. Uh, you know, we've we've written about uh, certainly Dublin. We've written about Belfast. We've written about uh, you know the the emergence of craft beer. Um, that is to say, you know, other beers that aren't Guinness uh, in uh, Ireland in the last couple of years. I mean, there's a wealth of information out there, and I think you know that there's uh, it's it's an exciting country right now i think for beer and we're hearing so much more about it as a lot of the smaller breweries uh, are making a name for themselves and getting the attention of a lot of drinkers both over there and over here
2: yeah and then james and heather you guys brought also john ulrich i mean is there someone on your team that wants to talk a little bit about some of the early histories of guinness
6: sure i can do that <laughs> no problem um what, what do we where do we want to begin 1759 Sure, tell, okay. tell us the basics.
3: That's, that's a good year. So,
6: yeah, I guess um, <laughs> Yeah, we, we could start Symphony 1759. I mean, we, we have to look at Arthur Guinness, a uh, 34-year-old man coming from County Hill Dare. Uh he, he brought his inheritance uh, to the city of Dublin, and with that he signed a 9,000-year lease for a brewery on the banks of the River Liffey. Um, and we are 257 years into that lease. So in, initially uh, Guinness was making uh, both a, an Irish red ale, and a porter as well. But in 1799, he decided to take the prescient leap uh, to just solely concentrate on porters at the time. So
2: he got a deal better than the Dutch bought Manhattan (laughs) from the Indians for some beads?
6: Yeah. Who had the better deal? Well, I I have my own opinions on that one. (laughs) You can't tell me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, gentlemen, we're uh, we're setting the stage for a little bit of Irish beer history and talks. What
4: are we drinking? Uh, right now we're drinking the Plain Porter. Uh, this is Richard here, where I'm from, uh, Porterhouse Brewing Company. The Plain would be our uh, our flagship beer. Um, it's uh, our kind of typical Irish dry stout. And um, they, I believe the main intention behind Bruna initially was to have something uh, to compete with the likes of Guinness or Beamish or Murphy's. But um, to come from a small, independent Irish-owned brewery and, you know, the reason we started this up is to compete with the big boys and try and kind of remove the stranglehold of large kind of Diageo-backed or multinational breweries in Irish beer. Um, it's, you know, as you can taste yourself, it's a phenomenal drop. Obviously, we believe here it's the best <laughs> example of an Irish dry stout, but, the, you know, our gentleman over here might disagree. It's um, won the gold medal in the International Brewing Awards in Burton-on-Trenton, England, twice. Cool. So We're pretty proud of that. Um, mm-hmm. What do you guys
2: think of the, the, the flavor profile on this? I it's a nice dry beer. Finish. I
3: ordered it today for um, you know for our St. Patrick's Day celebration. And I just a quick question about Ireland in general right now: How do you think the culinary scene is affecting people's quest for craft beer? I know they were doing a big push to get chefs, you know, to come and kind of expand sure. the culinary scene a little more. Do you think that helps you guys?
4: Uh, I think Barry will be better uh, suited to answer this question. He's been back home more recently. Than I have it's been a little while since I've been there, so. What do you think uh, of
5: yourself? Yeah, like, you know, um, I, I We're guess, just going to have
4: the Irish guys talk on.
5: Yeah, it. That's it. <laughs> you have a problem with that, do you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, answer. well, I think, you know, ultimately the, the Celtic tiger that most people are familiar with, you know, when the economy was doing really well, that, you know, laid the, the founding stones for all, all this kind of regeneration in, in Irish beer and Irish food in that, you know, we were able to entice, you know, those big names over to Ireland um, and we were able to invest in Irish beer. You know, Guinness were able to invest. Uh, Jameson, you know, went through the roof. We've uh, got all these Irish distilleries now. You know, and Irish breweries, and it all I think stems from that. You know, money, and in funny enough, you know, it also stems from the fact that it all blew up. You know, a lot of people lost their, their jobs. After the uh, Celtic Tiger went down, and a lot of them started breweries, they started business for themselves. They were left without a job in the financial c- circuit, and they just had to look at you know rip it up and start again. And a lot of them started breweries, you know, with, with the with the money they have saved, you know. So, it, yeah, it, it's definitely it's, it's flying at the moment. It's a great time for you. Got all these independent. Breweries. It's the way it should be. It's the way it is here. You got all these independent communities. They've all got their own brewery. You all got their own style. It's great. Everybody's looking at me. But. Uh,
7: no, I, I was just going to throw an opinion in there. I've uh, spent a lot of time in, in uh, England and Ireland, and uh, i got to say the food and the beer is better in Ireland.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Good, care. Good care. I hope there's no England <laughs> listening. John's
7: right there.
1: Yeah, Well, hey. So
8: uh, I invited you on the show, John Hall, but... Uh no, that's fine. It's uh, yeah. I'm really enjoying this beer, uh, by the way. I'm going to have to okay. stock it up for, uh, for the holiday next week. Uh, I... I Choose not to go out with the masses. Uh, I figure I'll leave that up to uh, to the professionals and the amateurs that day. I just like to to stay home. You guys being the professionals, having to serve the amateurs. I'm staying home too. So yeah, I'll, I'll have this at the. If at you the go house to uh, G- Jimmy's week, number
2: 43 so. on St. Patrick's Day, we're having a a ciders of Spain trade tasting. And then a ciders of Spain. Well, because talking about the Celtic influence, the in Asturias, the northern part of Spain, it looks like Ireland. It's green. There's apples, and and it's it's the celtic people and uh donald trump would be proud they they kept the moors out of the region many years ago I, I can't believe i said that on the air but you guys all got
8: it donald trump took credit for keeping he, the moors out is that, is that what you're
2: saying? he likes the celtic part yeah. of it but um you know we're going around in circles, but i love this puff the port house is, is, is great meeting you guys and uh you know, I, I love the, I love it. There is like there's some there guys making craft ciders in Ireland. You know, definitely it seems like only the last ten years, you, you guys are, are are coming out and being export to the states. Porterhouse was the first craft Irish beer that I had only about seven or eight years ago. Yeah.
4: Um, so when did Porterhouse get started? It was like in the late '80s or '90s. Uh, the Porterhouse Brewing Company got started in 1996. <laughs> so. Um, us along with I think O'Hara started in 96 as well um, we would have been I suppose the first wave of the modern generation Irish craft beer um, before that the guys that started up the porterhouse uh, Liam and Oliver back home they um, had another brewery in the mid to late 80s uh, based in Blessington uh, it's a lovely little town in uh, County Wicklow um, called Hearties and they were producing a, uh, their idea of real ale Um, they got inspired I believe when they lived in London uh, a few years previous and uh, you know the whole real ale scene in England where you know um, it's all local breweries Uh, yeah they wanted to do something similar Um, The rumour goes they were uh, put out of business by um, certain larger breweries uh, throwing money at publicans to not stock their beer. But a uh, lesson learned from that, they realised the Porter house. the best way to kick start um, a new craft beer revolution was to through the brew pub system. So if, you know, publicans are being paid to not take on their beer, just start your own pub and just feature your own beers.
8: You know, so I, I, I'm curious, and I don't want to go too far down a, a rabbit hole here, but what defines Irish craft beer? Because obviously we have a definition here in the U.S. that has changed many times over the last 25 years. Uh, sure. There are some groups in London that have tried to define uh, craft beer. In fact, it was the guy from uh, Camden Town who was starting that, and then he got bought out by ABI. So mm-hmm. uh, I imagine that that uh, either initiative is going to die or change. You know, The, the definition here is uh, built on a couple of different things. W- what is it in Ireland? Like, What does Irish craft
4: mean? well yeah it's based on a couple of different things here and I, I was reading about that recently it, it, it's less easy to define in ireland um personally i would say anything started within you know from the early 90s onwards irish owned is uh, i think a must have and a porterhouse prides itself on being the we're the largest irish owned uh brewery in the country um yeah and any and Anything that's just not a traditional Irish brand playing off kind of traditional ideas of Irishness. Um, it's, I think, about uh, projecting a modern aesthetic and saying, you know, there are interesting, new, exciting things coming out of Ireland, and we're not just doing the same thing we have done for hundreds of years. Um, I think, um, especially with the new wave of craft breweries, we're doing, you know, Uh, People like 8 Degrees from County Cork, Uh, they're doing very exciting stuff in non-traditional Irish styles, doing fantastic, you know, hop four beers, IPAs that can compete really with any of the best on the American market, I think, anyway.
6: Right. And that was my question. I was curious. I mean, I was back in Ireland uh, in October and I saw just a market difference. Uh, oh, absolutely. There. Yeah, um, even in the space of the last year and a
4: half, two right. years, it's exploded. Sure, absolutely. Yeah.
6: And I'm just curious about the styles that are kind of just taking hold now. I mean, we all think about Ireland, and we all think about the dry style. We all think about, you know, Absolutely, drugs. yeah. But is, what else has kind of taken off?
4: Uh, well, as, as I said, I know, hot, more hot four beers are definitely starting to take off. I mean, as Anne said earlier, it I think it took a little longer because, you know, sessionability and the the ability to, you know, drink a dozen plus pints is very, very important to Irish people, you know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah, you're all six plus percent beers don't lend themselves to is it Heather McReynolds. Yeah, yeah. It
7: but yeah, in yeah,
4: in the last years people are starting to get more kind of um That's a good question. Embrace yeah. the what, idea of what's, sipping two What's the beers next beer we're drinking? Because it's
2: pretty interesting. Yeah,
5: it's great.
4: Yeah, uh, we, ju- uh, we just poured the oyster stout, so this is going to be a little sweeter than your normal Irish dry stout. Um, nice little nose of ginger in there as well. Uh, I believe we were the first. Um the first real oyster. You know, I see a few uh, duchess de bourgogne doing oysters. I would believe, um, but we're the Is there first. there really, uh, I think there's a small. Do you in taste there. the ginger? Yeah. In. Yeah. I'm getting like a thin mint
8: type of thing, kind of like a thin mint cookie kind of coming off of it.
4: It's also. I mean, I, I like to describe it has a lovely kind of brininess and minerality to it. We uh, shook raw Dublin Bay oysters in when we're boiling up the mash, and you can definitely taste it in there. A lovely kind of saltiness. So, I can't this believe be how much fatal, John nailed it when he mouthed have. that
3: to me. That just the aroma. There's something about the minty the sea, cookiness yeah. of it that I don't know where it comes from. But it's, I love this beer. I'm going to go
8: pro now.
7: This is Heather. I, I got to ask because uh, oyster out uh, one of my favorite styles to make. Whole oysters in the mash. Like the, the the guts of it all. Yes. No? Uh,
4: I believe so. I've never actually uh, seen them brew it myself. The guys there—they get up pretty early, I think they start brewing around four in the morning. And uh, yeah, for me to get from it's where I'm based in Dublin to the other side of the city—I mean, yeah—I'm yeah, not for that Frank, dedicated. Yeah.
2: All right. Hey, we're gonna take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
3: And
1: we're young, couple kids trying to have some fun And we know these are the days we'll look back upon In 1986, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry.
2: All right. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, St. Patrick's is next week, and we just happen to have a room full of Irish beer enthusiasts and... uh Nitrogen people and some crazy stuff. <laughs> Guinness nitrogen. and Porterhouse and, and everybody. So, <laughs> l- l- let's jump. We, we did a little talk about Irish beer and, and an Irish craft beer, what's going on with the Porterhouse guys. But you know, one reason John Hall is here, he wrote a couple articles about nitrogen as a good beer gas. We've got some Guinness experts here. Let's talk about, about nitrogen. What the hell is it? You know, I mean, honestly, it's like there it used to be Cascale and all of a sudden one day there's a thing called nitrogen. And I know that Guinness was... Not nitrogenated until a certain time So who wants to give us a, a back, you know, background On nitrogen and Guinness
6: Yeah, absolutely So uh, we have to look at the context of What was happening with uh, Guinness products Back in the day uh, we, we know the expression, the perfect pint Um, And that was a real thing, you know, back in, I would say, you know, the earlier part of the 20th century. uh, You would go to a specific pub and you would go there specifically because they were able to pour a perfect pint. Um, And that actually took a lot of skill um, and a lot of celebration that was behind that. Mm -hmm. So we at Guinness, uh, in the 50s, we wanted to Pretty much streamline and make that something that was really standardized so that every single pub could kind of serve that perfect pint. And so the managing director at the time, Mr. Uh, Hugh Beaver, he tasked a young, math- a young mathematician by the name of Michael Ash uh, to come up with a process by which uh, we could make that perfect pint. Um, long story short, uh, it was decided that nitrogen was the best means to, to create that really thick, frothy, uh, velvet-like head. Um, and that was something that was introduced in 1959, uh, Coincidentally, the, our bicentennial. The two, oh, and there's a widget right there. Uh, so uh, that was uh, during our 200 year anniversary, and that's something we were able to launch out. Um, and it's so successful we what
2: 1759. Correct. Yeah. I so. see it all around town on all the St. Patrick's Day posters. Right. Right. So <laughs> yeah. We're doing our job. All right. So that's a little background on Guinness and and the nitrogen. Then John, you wrote an article about. Uh, couple articles about nitrogen gas. Yeah. You said, call it good gas. Good beer gas.
8: Good beer gas. Yeah, Yeah. that was the the headline of the stories. They've run on uh, craftbeer.com, and they've also run on uh, allaboutbeer.com. As opposed to me on a gassy evening. There it is. Um, But no, what we've definitely seen is that a lot of the American brewers have really been embracing it. And whereas, you know, a long time, for a long time, Guinness was synonymous with uh, nitro beers, and and that was great. And they had their own towers in there. And I think that as uh, the, uh, the beer revolution has happened in the last couple of years uh, last 20 years in the US bars are now putting in their own nitro handles that don't have to have a specific brand on it and Brewers have responded in kind and so now uh, Brewers of all shapes and sizes uh, or all sizes I should say uh, are making uh, nitro beers and some of them are stouts some of them are porters uh, some of them are IPAs uh, these days you know uh, very much in the American way uh, we've seen that you know Brewers say well how come you know how come we're only doing stouts on Nitro like let's try mm-hmm. an IPA and they're doing it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's uh, uh, it's kind of cool to see how many bars are embracing that and now how many small breweries uh, and other breweries in the U.S. are offering nitro beers.
2: So Anne, we're, we're going from straight up Irish beers to American brewers who are making beers with nitro.
3: Yeah, beer. I mean, to, we have at Taproom Thirty Seven, we have four nitro taps, and we're constantly rotating and there's, you know, again, all these great new styles, and it's perfect tie-in because we have now, just came in, Matt Brophy, the uh, brewmaster from Flying Dog. We're doing an event with them tomorrow, and we're going to have their bloodline uh, Pale Ale on Nitro, so I'm just he could tell you a little bit more on how it's working, but yeah.
9: Hey Matt, welcome to the show. man. Well, thanks for having me. Nice little room here. Yeah, this is great. Um, yeah, so we, uh, we we've experimented with different products uh, with nitrogen pours, and some certainly seem to work better than others. Uh, I think that the uh, the Guinness thing, you know, in terms of stouts, I think that's a natural fit. Something like our, our Bloodline Blood Orange Ale actually. The, the difference you get between the standard carbonated product and the nitrogenated product is pretty pretty amazing. You know, of course, you you have that kind of sharp crisp crispness, if you will, to a, to a regular carbonated beer. And then when you introduce um, a nitrogen version, it really kind of rounds things out. It almost like uh, we kid about at the brewery a little bit. It's almost like an orange, orange creamsicle, you know, that kind of thing. Um, looking back, so and you guys are kind of this is great the historical context here. Um, <laughs> I was very, very impressed. So, what I, I think so the the air is what we're like like what we have around is like eighty percent nitrogen or something I believe. And mm-hmm. so Correct. I think it kind of comes uh, when it's like that sparkler no sparkler debate mm-hmm. the camera kind of like gets that. into. Um, but when you when you're doing that traditional kind of hand pump pour and you have that sparkler on there, you get a lot of that nitrogen ingression into the into mm-hmm. the pint. And so I think that yeah, a way to kind of standardize that type of perfect pour if you will um, is to introduce the
6: nitrogen right to the product sure sure and uh, there are a lot of factors that go into that there's the flow rate you know there's the temperature there's you know the ambient pressure as well um but i'm going to throw it back at you guys and i'm curious um you know and john um what do you guys think of in terms of the when we're talking about nitro beers now um nitrogenated beers are there specific styles that you you guys have personally found that work better than others When it it comes to nitrogen, question, Jane.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, just in the bar uh, arena, I like the ones that you're typically, you know, drinking on cask. I mean, the idea that it makes it easier to drink, that it's, you know, the carbonation isn't as, doesn't pop as much. You can have a couple of pints without feeling, you know, overly full. Um, I think we tend to do better with that the pale ales, the ambers, the light stouts. But on the same token, you know, we just, I've been making the rounds, the old Rasputin from North Coast on Nitro, and it's oh, yeah. exquisite. Beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a 9-plus percent stout. It's very rich and full-bodied, and it just lends a whole other element to it. So I guess it's kind of like, you know, maybe it's individual beers or specific beers that work better than others, but I think the style gamut can go all over the yeah. place. I mean,
2: for, for me, for years, before, like, what we have now, I used to be able to get, like, Rogue, the Shakespeare stout, oh, yeah. or, like, Young's Double Chocolate Stout. Those are th- pretty much on my Nitro line for a long time.
8: Yeah, hopped-up beers really don't translate too well into nitro. And I, I don't care if you're uh, a very large brewer or a very small brewer and how much hops you're putting into it. Uh, I really do. I, I've yet to find uh, a true nitro IPA uh, that really sort of delivers the same IPA experience on CO2. Um, and so I do think that with the maltier, creamier beers that have already a thicker mouthfeel to it, or at least a, a stronger mouth, uh, or at least a stronger uh, malt bill to it, that those translate better into nitro than something with One a lot thing. of
2: hops. One quick thing. We actually have, again, the- Drafting cans in our glasses now, and I'm just asking what's the next beer? Because I want to keep the beers pouring. Okay, I think Matt, since you walked in, I, I, don't, I don't know somebody's what's really gone, on here. There's, well, it's got here. But we've got we've
4: got a uh, Nitro Red Ale from ourselves. This and, is better than the
2: St. Patrick's Day parade, anyway. Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, and I say. can't believe you started celebrating St. Patrick's Day already today.
3: This has been the easiest uh, <laughs> intro to St. Patrick's Day yet. All these beers, I'm like actually I guess I'm done br- with them. Wait,
2: you're it's bringing us back to Irish uh, beer styles? Yeah. I, I, I was reading that some of the guys in England, like Ron Pattinson. love that guy. Shut yeah. up about Barclay Perkins. Some people love him. Some I love them. Um, they were saying that, that to them the the, the the real Irish style is the radio
4: yeah and that 's what we 're drinking now. This is the Porterhouse red it's you know, it 's a nitro red and um, following on what from what John was saying, um, yeah, definitely these maltier beer styles benefit from the nitrogenation uh, to round them out as such it's, you know, I think the more hot for beer is kind of controversial. There are great examples of them on nitro for the most part, I think it doesn 't work. I have to say the Flying Dog uh, bloodline is fantastic. It's a great example of it. So and we have to try we have to
2: try that, Matt. Indeed, you got to get it down here to me. We're so only like four yeah. seats away. There's like yeah. twenty people. <laughs> yeah. So James, you, you got to crowd tell us, why did Guinness do a nitro IPA? That's well, the question
6: I wanted to ask you for like three and, months. And 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 this is the point that I was going to get at is I think when you're talking about a nitrogenated beer, if you're gonna if you're gonna nitrogenate that beer, that beer has to be formulated to be nitrogenated. Yeah. And the the. The, the, I, I guess a difference that I would say with the nitro IPA versus a lot of other IPAs that are nitrogenated is the fact that we formulated that beer specifically to be nitrogenated. So we're using five different types of hop varieties at uh, three different stages in the brewing process, and that's purposely done in order to accentuate the just the characteristics of the Did you bring that for. beer? Uh, I don't know. Do we, no. do we bring that? No, we did not bring that. All
8: up. right. <laughs> I mean, to that point, though, I, I'm not just saying there. There were some brewers that were making nitro I, or nitro IPAs and just taking the regular IPA recipe, but you know now they are formulating it that way. And I and I, you know, again, I'll stand by what I said that I still all the ones that have been formulated uh, from Guinness to Sam Adams to the rest of them, they're nice, but they just don't offer the same experience, regardless of how many pounds of hops you use or how many different varietals of hops you use. I think IPA still. Represents itself best uh, in CO2, uh, and that's what you know our blind panels have said, and a bunch of other places as well.
6: Yeah, and I would agree to that. Um, the only point that I would make is when we think about IPAs, and this is kind of like the big pivot that I that I would put out there is the fact that when we think IPAs, we think West Coast IPAs, we think the traditional American style IPA, and we we all know that IPAs have been around for quite some time, and. I, at least I can speak for Guinness. You know, when we created the Nitro IPA, we came with very European sensibilities. We want to make an English-style IPA. And so it's much more subdued. If one is looking for, um, you know, some, some of my personal friends out there, let's say the other half, IPA, you know, the, the Guinness Nitro IPA is probably not, not that proposition for them at that moment. But I would still argue that it's, it's a great beer, like for other experiences as well. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I see a lot of times now with the growth of the nitro beers is people putting on beers that I know for a fact were not even, not only not formulated for nitro, but not pressurized for nitro. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, um, you know, they make a big deal about that. Can you just speak a little bit to, you know, I guess bar owners to explaining exactly why you don't do that and why it's important. It's a great it question.
2: I'll tell you, actually, my, my nitro line was empty this weekend, and I asked around to a couple local brewers, and some said, I asked them if they had a, a, a stout for nitro, and they said, no, but you can still put it on. And I said, well... I've tried that. It doesn't really work that way. So kind of in line with what Ann's saying.
6: Right. So we have to think about nitrogenation, and it, when we think about that, we talk about nitrogen. Nitrogen is an inert gas, so it doesn't really want to react with anything else. Uh, the beauty of that is, specific to beer, it wants to come out of solution really quickly. Um, and the way that we balance that in the draft system is we have to utilize a 75% nitrogen, 25% carbon dioxide uh, proportion in order to push the liquid through um, the, the, the beer line. You know, for the most part. So, if that is out of whack, if that is, if if a beer is using, if a nitrogenated beer is using a traditionally carbonated uh, line, you know, primarily with 60% CO2, 40% nitrogen, you're gonna get a lot of foam because you having, you know, the the carbon dioxide is going into solution mm-hmm. at the same time. So, you need that balance in order to uh, have that beer pour out as intended.
2: So, what is the thing about Guinness and the perfect pint? Maybe that's for the Irish guys and and, and James.
5: <laughs> It's something that's, is it a myth or is, is it a, a challenge? It's, it's funny, so uh, cause I've worked in England and I've worked in Ireland and I've worked in America and uh, I know Guinness spent a lot of time educating, like I'm talking like 10, 20 years ago, educating Americans and English people how to pull a pint. Uh, and I also work in what's actually known as one of the best pints of Guinness in Dublin. And back, like you say, back before that that education took place, people went, people used to travel across the city to get a perfect pint, you know? Uh, and it's it's pretty simple, you know. Honestly, it's it's a it's that forty five degree pour. It's presentation. It's the surge. I see a lot of American bars now in New York. They they want to present the finished ingredient, whereas Irish people, you serve the beer as it's surging, as that cascading is taking place, and you're hopping around waiting for it to stop so that you can drink your pint. And that's part of the experience. And I see in New York they actually deliver the pint already black and white and that's wrong
2: there's some <laughs> other myths like so I, I was reading before the show like you know there's all these comment Sorry, we'll boards <laughs> there's all these comment boards and someone said that the reason the the, the pint is better in ireland is that they serve hundred percent nitrogen while in this states as a g mix and i know that's not true but who wants to tell
6: me what what is the ideal mix for this type of nitrogen, beers. right? It's, it, it's exactly that. It's 75% nitrogen, 25% CO2. Yeah. And I will say, for the record, uh, the the pint of Guinness that you're going to get uh, at your local bar here in New York City is the exact same liquid that you'll yeah. be getting at the Irish pub right around the corner from St James Gate. It's all, every single ounce of Guinness Original Draft and Guinness products, with the exception of the American Blonde Lager, is brewed out of St James Gate in Dublin.
2: So and I, what are some other issues? Is it, is it clean lines? Do you think some no, people no, try to push no, no. push I, the beer through without I think, the proper I think, I think, gas mix? I think it's
7: mix? an experience issue. I mean, yeah. when you're sitting in Dublin and you're surrounded by all these awesome people, it, it makes that pint even more tasty. Like, it, the people, the Irish people are just so
3: amazingly and People have to want to outgoing. drink a stout, too. If
2: they want an IPA, they're not going to want a stout. Is that bad? <laughs> well
3: you no, know, I just think people get a little, a little scared of the color, and I think that happens all the time, you know, and I hear it so often, oh, I'll have someone taste a Belgian style quad that 's dark. Oh, it's like Guinness, it is nothing <laughs> like Guinness. I mean you, just, you think with your eyes, you speak with yeah. your eyes almost sometimes too soon, and it, if you were to serve the exact same beers in you know the black song glasses that you can't see the color, I think it would be a drastic you know there's, departure. there's so much perception that people don't think
7: about. yeah like, it's, it's not just the taste of the beer, it's, it's everything else involved.
2: And then Matt, well, we're drinking your beer right now, man. Yep.
9: So,
3: just <laughs> tell us about it because right it tastes yeah. pretty Can good. You pass that down. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I'm not used to having sorry,
9: so only, many different it's styles and Is yeah, Just one bottle. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, <laughs> we have, I, we have I, others I, though. We have other beers okay. here. I drank so, it all. Thank only you. Only one of each. Um, yeah. So what this is, it's our uh, it's our blood orange ale. So it's it's loosely based on an it's IP. Flying dog, right? Flying dog. Yeah. Bloodline is is the name of the beer. This started as an experiment a couple years ago. Um, just We actually add blood orange puree That's to delicious. the beer and blood orange peel. So it's uh, hop forward, but not particularly bitter. So we strike a nice balance with the fruit, the malt, and um, we some of that fruitiness and the aromatics is coming from a hop, hop nice. blend.
2: Are you based in Maryland? Yes. And what are you doing in New York City? Uh,
8: Why are you here? Uh, are you just oh, yeah, just, just hanging out. I came up having see beer. I it's love that. Jimmy, you're an affable host. Uh, All right. right. <laughs> How
2: are you doing? What are you doing? cause. All right. Well, yeah, we're going to take another short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions. All right. <laughs> Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio. This is a wild My room. It's like St. Patrick's Day almost. An Irish beer and nitrogen. Huh? we got Matt Brody came all the way from Maryland to see us, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Cool, man. And I love I love that first beer you had. So, so uh, what's the next beer we're going to taste? Uh, well, we have uh, Flying our, Dog. our lucky
9: SOB here, which is uh, more along the uh, Irish amber style uh, you know, when we, you guys, you know, you're all beer people. It's it, that balance between the uh, the malt and the hops. This, of course, is a malt-forward beer. Uh, we're not looking for a lot of hops here. and We use uh, 100% imported um, malted barley from Ireland, MCI, the Malting Company of Ireland. So um, that's kind of the, the signature uh, the signature note here. You know, w- one
2: reason we thought about doing this show, because we had uh, Richard and Barry on not too long ago talking about Porterhouse and Francis Tavern. I thought we were going to talk about how the cask beer there was a cast revolution and then somehow there became nitrogen but there hasn't really been a a, a tie-in to that and we talked a little bit before the show Barry and who wants to jump in on why did nitrogen become a style and you know what is it do you miss your real cascales? I don't know. Well, this is like mm, a big the, the
5: topic. Res- the, I mean, we I've done a little bit of research on It the Guinness guys might know better than I do. However, I've got the mic. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, no. There's other mics, Barry. <laughs> so, as far as I know, uh, uh, back in the day, would have been your you know would have been your wooden barrel. Um, the ultimate goal, like every innovation in the brewing scene, is to make it easier and to make it better. Um, nitro. Out inconsistencies, yeah, right? to smooth out those inconsistencies.
7: Except when you brew it the hard way.
5: Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um. So ultimately, you know, back in the day, it would have been your wooden barrels. Um. It would have been unfiltered. It would have been you know, uh, unpasteurized, and it was problematic, especially with the volume that Guinness were doing, uh, around around the country and around the world. So, I think the the the, re- the reason why nitrogen was born was to you know give that you know real ale experience globally uh and to have it you know the product you know delivered in the way that it was intended to be delivered you know like if you have a, a cask ale if you pop a cask ale we all notice it lasts three or four days yeah and then it's gone sayonara like so guinness were able to mm-hmm. prolong that life you know? here's
2: a great beer mine Lars dollhouse
10: <laughs> hey guys I'm actually the, the, the importer for uh, porterhouse beers, and, you know, as the development goes along, technology, etc. we're actually working with a company out of England who pioneers something called Beer in Box, where the uh, the brewery, before filling up the, the kegs or the whatever, they take the the carbonation or nitrogenase out of the beer, and, um, and put it into a 20 liter box, a square cardboard box with a bubble inside of it, and then ship it like that. So completely flat. And then only when it arrives at the bar, <coughs> and there's a box on the wall, what we call a magic box, that recarbonates or re-nitrogenates the beer, and then it's pumped up through the regular lines, etc. We trialed that at Francis Tavern a few months ago, and it turned out absolutely amazing. So... That is the most freshest way to get a pint into a person's hand. The magic box just costs a thousand dollars per, you know, just imagine a bar putting out their money. But, you know, that's essentially where we might be going. And the
4: the consistency and the freshness of it has to be tasted, as we believe. Mm -hmm. We're really taken aback um, by it. Tastes like a straight out of the Brews So
2: without technology, we wouldn't be drinking any of the beers we're drinking, yeah. which is true.
3: Yeah. And how do you guys choose which ones you want to do on Like, Matt, good question for you. It's like, you know, you make so many different styles of beer, and which is why he's here for a, a release of a new beer. Right. But, and Maggie, you've got a question. <laughs> First of all, cho-
2: sorry. Maggie, sorry. To it. Maggie, it's, it was her birthday oh, the other day. Right. Happy birthday, Maggie. And she was in happy Ireland. Happy birthday, oh, Maggie. Eddie. Pass your
9: notes that's through, That's right. Happy on.
3: birthday. Happy birthday. And how do you choose which beers you're going to put on Nitro?
9: Well, for us, it's really the internal feedback. So when we try new beer on nitro we put it on our in our uh, tasting room and if we really like it then we'll we'll start producing it commercially and start sending it out
3: Maggie's entering the room
2: And then, Anne. so you, you're going to have how many, how many lines
3: on Nitro? Well, tomorrow, well we always have you're at four t- at tap from Yeah, we always yeah. have four Nitro lines Tomorrow we're not doing all of their Nitro beers But we are doing a couple And then we're going to have, you know again, as we're talking creative and creativity We're doing a Mango Habanero IPA from Flying Dog as well to kick it off Fever is, dream Yeah, man, so maybe one of these days that'll be on Nitro too And, you know, mm-hmm. talk about from old to new
6: And can I ask, like, at Taproom 307, how, so there are four, there are currently four nitro lines. Has that always been the case?
3: Uh, Since I, I mean, it's not a super old bar since I've been there at least, yeah.
6: Okay. Is there intentions of kind of increasing that just based on? four
3: is a good, is a good amount. Yeah. No, I think, you know, and again, there's so many things that we have, but they rotate. You know, so many new breweries are doing something and starting to kind of experiment with that. So we can always keep four. We're not having an issue with that at all, which we would have, you know, we used to. Um. Mm -hmm. But, no, I think that's a good line. And, again, it's not for everybody. So sure. I think it's the best to just offer something for everybody. No, that was,
2: and I, I, I called Maggie in because Maggie was, so it was her birthday that day. But it's yeah. not today. But happy birthday, Maggie. But you were in Ireland, and you've, and you've been there a lot. And I know you went to college there. So tell us about what your experience
3: with the craft uh, cider and beer scene. In Maggie's one of our producers, in case anyone doesn't. <laughs> we love Maggie.
11: Thank you, Anne. <laughs> I, I mean, I never talk on this.
0: <laughs>
11: but my main thing. Is that I remember when I was living there before I got into beer, I would drink like I'd have my white wine and then I'd have like a bottle of the nice Smirnoff. And then, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was That's, oh, no, is that, that was is that like, some co- sort of fancy new kind of beer, it was like
7: a <laughs> <laughs> fancy bug
11: <laughs> I'm distilled somewhere. Um, but my main thing is. Like before a night out, I know, like, especially college students and stuff, like students, we would drink shit like that. And then, do you notice, like, what is the age, the new age range? Are more people trying to drink beer before they go out and not, like, Foster's or a bottle of Bud or something like that? Like, what do you, do you see yourself? When do you hook like, the customers? Are you selling, <laughs> like, more to students and more to people?
4: Well uh, I know in the Porterhouse, um the original Porterhouse bar back in Dublin students are a big crowd of it um
11: but are they buying your beer because I used to go there well, they have just to because, because it's, it it's pretty much only Porterhouse beers on <laughs> top, I so, a so a don't really have a there choice one time. I bought a Miller there
4: okay well we yeah, we do have the kitty fridge there as well, you know um no, i don't think the craft beer thing is hit the uh, the younger age range just yet I mean. I know. I, I, when I was back in army, I had a few shifts working at the porterhouse, and even people of my generation who are massive craft beer enthusiasts, if they're going to be going out on a night, they want to get their money's worth. I'm probably going to
3: plumb for eight cans of Dutch Gold or something, yeah. you know, of the similar. I'm
11: pretty sure fantastic the same Generation, but yeah,
3: but that's where the education cool. aspect. I mean, adults wouldn't even have this kind of beer, like you said a couple of years ago. You know, yeah. so it's like one one little time by you little. Get to
11: Talk <laughs> to me. All right. <laughs> a little by
3: little, you know. I think you it's your me? birthday.
11: No, it was, and I have reasonable things to say. (laughs) You're funny.
4: Um, Yeah, no, I think um, people are buying um, craft beer to try at home and, you know, expand their palate in Ireland, because this is still a... You know, a new concept, especially American breweries. Um, until recently, it was only Sierra and founders that had a kind of uh, a large presence, and now we're starting to see some other American breweries trickle in. So people will buy a selection from their local off license to take and try at home. Um, but as far as you're saying for a night out, I think, uh, yeah, young Irish people still want to get a bit of mileage for their money. So <laughs> other questions,
2: guys. Okay, and looking at, back at history, uh, in nineteenth century, was Guinness stronger than
6: it is now? Uh, well, that's kind of a loaded question because so
7: you're talking about ABV or stronger. What, what, what way?
2: I don't know.
6: It's a, a
7: softball
2: question.
6: <laughs> well, if we talk about ABV, uh, uh, the thing that we also have to realize is that Guinness is not just the maker of one specific beer. Right, you know, like just look at 2016. Um, we've actually cracked open a West Indies Porter, which is uh, it, it's one of our newest offerings from the Brewers Project.
0: Six percent
6: at six percent. Uh, it's based off of a recipe from 1801. Yeah. uh The same recipe, the same recipe, which has now become the Foreign Extra Stout. So in many ways, it's kind of the great granddaddy of that beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if we look at you know, certain types of beers that were made in the 1800s by Guinness. Yes, there were some that were a little bit more higher in alcohol content, mm-hmm. you know, and that might have changed over the years, but for a multitude of different reasons. I mean, science was not as big of a deal um, in the brewing passions and the, in the industry back in the day. Um, and so everything was really, uh, it was much more of an art. Um, and that was something that was kind of passed down and replicated. Um, and so over time, that might have changed things. The other piece of it is just the social um, complications and, and things that were happening at the time. I mean, think about World War I. I mean, you probably had to ration a lot of the raw materials. So that would impact the, uh, the ABV on, on certain brands as well. Mm-hmm.
2: John, anything else you want to say? We're gonna wrap it up soon.
8: No, I I think like all breweries that have been around for a long time, uh, they've changed, they evolve, ownership changes, uh, you know, new breweries get added uh, to the mix. Uh, so you know, I, I I don't quite know how to answer your uh, original question to say that you know what type of business is the same now than it was fifty years ago. And depending on your perspective, some people might you know uh, think that there's some great things about it. Some people might think that there's not great things about it. But that's not unique to Guinness. I think that's true with any brewery that's out there that has longevity or any brewery that has been around uh, for you know or any business that has been around for uh, a couple hundred years.
2: And then Matt what, what really got you guys into to making beers with nitrogen at Flying Dog?
9: Um, really just experimentation and finding things that we liked. Uh, we so uh, there were some comments about the technology earlier. It's amazing these days uh, from from a production standpoint also at the dispense end where you know, like you can take a cask, for example, and you can serve it traditionally. You can serve it nitrogenated and you can carbonate it in line and serve it to your customers. So I think that the customers are really looking for that experience to be able to sample different versions of the same beer and see how that how it tastes. What yeah, the differences I mean, are.
5: Ultimately, that's what we're all here for. You know, we're all here for beer and we're all here to experience different kinds of beer. Uh, what nitrogen does it it, it 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 gives it a different mouthfeel and it actually brings a different audience into beer in some ways, especially into like so, so like the bloodline. And we were able to, because we had the Bloodline in Francis Tavern for like two months, and it was a great beer to be able to introduce people. It's just like our own Red Ale. It, it, it gives a, a whole new audience, you know, and it brings people into beer. Um, and it's, I mean, it's there's so many styles out there and so many different ways of doing things. It's exciting, you know, and it's great, and that's, uh, that's what we're all about, you know. All right. Anything
2: yeah. else you want to say?
3: No, that's the way to say that. I couldn't agree more. And I guess, you know, coming into uh, to St. Patrick's Day, the idea, I have so many options to pick. I mean, my goodness, I was trying to pick a list today, and it's like yeah. there's so many things that are all quality. You know, it's yeah. a good time to be a consumer and a good time to be a drinker. Yeah.
2: Great. And one more guest. Uh, there's a guy, uh, Jason. He was a listener, and he came into Jimmy's on at 43 last night. He owns a restaurant in Cayman Islands. Jason, tell us about uh, drinking, what, foreign export stout on the beach. And that's actually a cultural thing. Like, yeah. Uh, no, d- down in the West Indies, you know, we love uh, Guinness,
6: and uh, I'm actually really excited to try this Guinness uh, West Indies Porter, Yeah, and I think it's, I'm going to have to check out my uh, Guinness rep and see what, <laughs> when it's going to be down in my... T-
3: soon, soon, I hope, yeah.
7: And what's yeah.
6: the name of your place in the Cayman Islands? Uh, we're at Thai Orchid down on uh, Seven Mile Beach, Grand Cayman.
3: And he just invited all of us before the show to come. Oh yeah! What a guy! Right. Maybe
6: for
2: Maggie's birthday, we can bring everybody.
3: Here. There you
2: go. But and one, but what you told us initially that you you, you want to get more craft beer in uh, the Caribbean.
6: Oh yeah! If there's any uh, distributors, exporters, anyone who has craft beer or sells craft beer, we need craft beer in the Caribbean. Come on down. Uh, we will buy it all up. We love to drink it. I All right. Man, right thanks,
2: thanks for saying hi and thanks for checking us out. Let's go around the room. Everybody else say goodbye. Ann and Jason and Maggie. And isn't the guy back there, John Ulrich? But uh, Matt, go around the room and just sit, say one more time. Say your name and then and who you're with. And.
9: Uh, Matt Brophy, the, the brewmaster program. of Flying Dog Brewery. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh,
8: John Gibbons Hall from All About Beer magazine.
6: <laughs> just James Tai, uh, brewery ambassador for Guinness.
7: I'm Heather McReynolds, the social media correspondent for Guinness. Hey,
10: I'm Matt Barry from
5: Francis Tavern, New York's oldest tavern.
10: Lars Dahlhaus for Liquid Projects Importing, Porterhouse. Richard Stokes, Porterhouse Brewing Company. Of course, we had to end with the Irish accents, but <laughs> you guys, thanks for coming
2: out to takers. us. Thanks for our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to everybody who joined me on the show, including our producers, Justin and Maggie, and Engineer David. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. yeah. 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 Thank you, guys.